John chapter 15, I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 this morning, and I'm going to read through chapter 16, verse 11. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's still a few in the back. Uh, Pick one up off the table back there. I'd encourage you to do that sooner rather than later, so you can have these words in front of you. I'm going to be referencing these words several times throughout the course of the sermon. So it's good for you to see these things. I think our time together is much more enjoyable when you see the words in front of you. The words that have been breathed out by the Holy Spirit inspired that the Apostle John recorded 2,000-ish years ago. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were, with, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then then they also will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done, uh, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will also bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things, because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes to you, that that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. No one likes to be hated, and I, I certainly don't like to be hated. I like to be liked, and I would probably say that's probably true for you as well. I'd much rather be loved than hated. But in the world that oftentimes misdefines love, like we talked about last week, um, we also see a world then that naturally misdefines hate. Hate in our world has become uh, nearly synonymous with intolerant. 
and an intolerant in a sense that an individual doesn't give full endorsement to every decision that another individual makes, that's hate. This really simple formula that the world uses, at least in our culture, in our day and age, and really honestly throughout human history, the simple formula that can be boiled down to this. I am my own God. If you oppose me, then you oppose God. You therefore hate me. That formula actually works. It, it works well. It's not, not logical. There's just one faulty premise that exists within it, and that's who is God. If it's self, then the world's formula makes absolute sense. But self isn't God. Jesus here shows us that he is God. And then we have to restate the formula. Jesus is God. If you oppose the words of Jesus, then you oppose God. You therefore hate Jesus and all who are associated with him. The world will, what Jesus tells us in this passage, is that the world will hate Christians because they claim that the God of the Bible is one, three persons, and one divine nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. And because it is from this truth that all reality flows, this truth doesn't come from inside the individual or anything other than the triune God. So truth is not a concept. Truth is not something out there to be discovered or found. It is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So this morning as we process through these verses and these, these, uh, these words that Jesus speaks to us, we have to be very clear that truth is not something that needs to be found, but something that is found right here in Scripture. So this morning, as we look at what Jesus says here to his disciples, I want you to note two things, and they'll guide our time together this morning. First is this, the hate that the world has for Jesus. The hate the world has for Jesus. And secondly, the helper that Jesus sends for the witness. So first thing, hate from the world. This morning's text uh, is really hard. You can't. You cannot separate this text from what we talked about last week. You cannot separate this text from the command that Jesus gives to his disciples to love one another. Would you back up the page with me to verse 12? Let me just read this, verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, in the, in the, the, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So this is how we show love for Jesus. We show love for Jesus. He unpacks it for us in these six verses, 12 through 17. We show love for Jesus by loving one another, loving those he died for. Jesus points out that love is sacrificial, love is committed, and love is humble. And so just like Jesus loves us, we are to love one another. That's what we see in verse 12. That you love one another, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So what would we expect to come next in verse 18? That's, that's the question I want to ask. 
Because sometimes we read our Bibles, and these are, these are passages that are relatively familiar, sometimes we just know what's coming next, and so our brain goes into autopilot, and we just get into the next thing, and we figure it out. But like, of course, then what Jesus says is, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But he just commanded love for the disciples that they would love one another. So what would you expect would come next? Wouldn't you expect that Jesus would say, and when you get really good at loving one another, when you really are living in full obedience to this command that I give you to love one another as I have loved you, then the world is going to look at you and they're going to be excited. They're going to be look at that group of people who loves one another so well. They do such a good job of loving one another. The world will cheer, they will applaud, they'll come to your churches in droves, and they'll say, look at all of those Christians. Aren't they doing a lovely job loving one another? They're, they are, they're, they're just the best. We love them so much. But this isn't what Jesus says will happen at all. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Wouldn't you think that the reward would be that others would look at you and say, and love you as well? But that's not what will happen. If you remember back, I don't know, it's been a while, in chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 35, we talked about Jesus' evangelism strategy. If you flip back, it'll be on the screen too, I'm sure. But if you flip back uh, to chapter 13, verse 35, you'll see that Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I know that I, personally, when I read that verse, I often erroneously draw a conclusion. I say to myself, or I respond in this way, is that I think that Jesus is telling us in verse 1335, or chapter 13, verse 35, that if we love one another well as a church, we who are Jesus' disciples, when we love one another, uh, everyone will look at us and will love us in return. And they'll be excited. But this passage actually tells us that it's the exact opposite. It actually makes it clear to us that worldly people will respond to Christians' love for one another by hating Christians. Why? Why would hate be the response? Jesus tells us in verse 22 of our passage this morning. He says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Here it is. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not have been guilty of their sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And then in verses 8 through 11, in chapter 16, at the end of our passage, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the Holy Spirit he's talking about. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So worldly people will actually respond to Christians who love one another well, following the command of Christ to love one another. They will actually respond by hating them. Why? Because it exposes their own sin. 
So if the world responds to Christians loving one another by hating them, what can we expect that response to look like? What can we expect that response to look like? Well, in verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. So he says uh, one response that you can expect or one outworking of this hate that they have for those who love one another well as believers is that they will persecute you. In chapter 16, verse 2, Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogues. They're going to kick people out of places of worship. And we see this happen multiple times in the book of Acts. And we see it happen earlier in John's gospel. When the man who was born blind believed in Jesus and bore witness to the fact that Jesus had healed him, um, they kicked him out of the synagogue. Also, in verse 2, Jesus says the disciples will be, will be killed. They will be killed by those who think that, Jesus says, they think that they're offering service to God. And although the Bible doesn't record the death of many of the disciples, not any of them, tradition holds that many were martyred, killed for their faith in Jesus. So Jesus says that hate for Christians will come hot and heavy in the, per, in the, in the form of persecution, in the form of exile, and even death. If you and I look around right now, um, those don't seem like imminent threats in our own lives. Those don't seem like things that are coming after us. Uh, persecution, maybe you can see it on the horizon, and maybe you've experienced persecution. Maybe you're going to go into a relatively hostile uh, family situation for the holidays, where family members are blatantly and outspokenly opposed to the truth of who God is and who Jesus reveals him to be in Scripture. There might be persecution that's coming your way. Exile, mm, it's kind of a hard one to wrap our heads around. Death, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're a bit away from that. At the same time, if we look around at our culture, we can see growing hostility towards Christianity. We can see growing hostility towards people who profess that the Bible is true and say that Jesus is God and make all sorts of claims that the Bible claims for their own lives. And therefore, as we see growing hostility towards Jesus in our culture, we see growing hostility towards us. The reality, though, is when we look at this passage in particular, we need to be careful. We need to be careful because of, of a handful of things. The first thing that we need to be careful of is that we would not go into isolation mode. That we take ourselves out of play because of the hostility towards Christianity. Uh, Christians sometimes go into this isolation mode, and Jesus in this passage expects and even implies for his, uh, for his disciples that there is full engagement that's happening in the world. Persecution, exile, and death don't happen to people who hole up in a bomb shelter. Persecution, exile, and death come towards the people who speak well and outspokenly in the culture about who Jesus is, truly who he is. Isolated disciples are rarely persecuted, exiled, and killed. They're non-threats to the ways of the world, so why would the world care? Why would the world bother to even give them a second thought? They'll leave them alone. In the same vein, this is the other side of the coin. 
In the same vein, Christians should not vicariously live through the persecution of other Christians. Now, I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Christians should not live vicariously through the persecution of other Christians. You're not being persecuted in your day-to-day life by watching a Fox News story about the, the baker who wouldn't make a cake for the, for the homosexual marriage while you sit on your couch. That's not a great situation, but that you're, you're not actually being persecuted. All you did was turn on the TV to Tucker. And don't hear me say that you should go looking to make people hate you. That's not the point either. Jesus says if you go out into the world and you actively love one another... Not go out in the world and poke the bear. Not go look for people to be angry with you. But if you actually go out into the world and love one another as Jesus commands us to love one another, then people will hate you. I'm saying that you should follow Christ's commands to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, bearing witness to Christ's love. And if you get persecuted, don't wonder why it's happening. If you get persecuted because you're loving one another, don't wonder why it's happening. So, if persecution, exile, and even murder are how and what we can expect the world to respond to Christians who follow Christ's command to love one another, how can Christians actually bear up under these things? Again, these might not, in a very real sense, seem that imminent in our world. But, when they do come, how do we respond? If you go into the world tomorrow, if you go into your workplace, and you, as a Christian, uh, are, are outspokenly showing love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you get punched in the mouth, metaphorically, maybe, maybe literally too, but if you get punched in the mouth, how do you get in the back of the ring the next day? After a while, wouldn't you have enough? And the answer is probably you would. The answer is, no one likes to get beat up every single day of the week over these things. But again, isolation mode is not an option for us. And so, the answer is, on your own, you can't. But what if you're not on your own? And that brings us to the next point. Jesus gives a helper for the witness. Jesus gives a helper for the witness. In the middle of the hate that comes from the world, Jesus gives a helper for the witness. Jesus won't leave his disciples alone. And he promises this throughout this passage, this section of text here in John's gospel. As he's become more and more explicit that he is going away, that he is going to the Father, he continually tells his disciples that he is sending another. He is sending the helper. He sends the Holy Spirit, this is the helper, proceeding from the Father. Jesus refers to him as the helper, and he also, in verse 26, refers to him as the Spirit of truth. What does the Holy Spirit do? Here, Jesus says, he bears witness about Jesus. And he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Jesus says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, there's a key there. There's a clue there that we, have to, that we have to consider carefully. This indicates to us that endurance will be necessary. That endurance, if you are to follow Jesus, endurance will be necessary. If hatred from the world is coming your direction, 
then endurance will be necessary. Not just internal, buckle down, get her done sort of endurance, but real, supernatural, tangible endurance will be needed. Because in the face of persecution, in the face of exile, in the face of death, the disciples' responses to these things will bear witness about Jesus. A disciple's response to persecution, exile, and death, the, the disciple's response to that will bear witness to who Jesus is. The Spirit-empowered endurance that the disciples display, and we can see that in the book of Acts, the, the, super, the spiritual, Spirit-empowered endurance that the disciples display will show the fact that Jesus is sent from the Father and that Jesus is, in fact, God. And Jesus here gives us another another plan for evangelism. He gives us an opportunity here to share the gospel, bearing up and enduring under intense persecution. And this will happen again in the book of Acts and throughout the history of the church. We see it time and time and time again. When persecution comes, the gospel goes forward. When people are crunched, the gospel explodes. Why? Because of what Jesus says here, the Spirit-empowered witness to be who Jesus is is on display in Christians. Who is Jesus? When we see who Jesus is clearly, and when we bear up under intense persecution of those who hate Jesus, He is on display. I'm a, I'm a lifetime Vikings fan, but if you held a gun to my head and told me to deny it, I'd no problem. It's fine. It wouldn't even, that's a terrible example. But, say that you have a good team. I mean, there are, we can have a conversation later, historically. But many times throughout church history, the church has grown massively because of fires and bullets and torture that Christians have endured, never wavering, never denying Christ. These people didn't go looking for, to get burned at the stake. They didn't go looking to get shot. But they did not waver, following Christ's commands clearly, explicitly, publicly. Early church father Tertullian once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What he means is that when Christians are persecuted, exiled, killed, like Jesus says here, the church grows. The church grows because the Spirit bears witness to the person of Christ through the endurance of the disciple. Friend, if you want to have an impact of the gospel, when you are explicit about your faith and you receive persecution for that, when you are hated and reviled because, uh, because the ways of the Bible, the word of God is no longer in vogue, when you go into the workplace and someone looks at you and turns their back on you because they know that you, you love Jesus Christ and because you speak truth about who he is regularly in whatever situation you might find yourself, when you, when you endure in those situations, is the Holy Spirit who, along with you who is, who is bearing witness to the person of Jesus Christ. You are not... You are not there in that moment alone. You are not by yourself. You might feel 
for a moment alone, but remember what Jesus has said here, that he'll send a helper for you. Friends, you and I cannot endure threats in our world alone. The hatred that the world has for those who love Jesus, for those who put Christ on display by loving one another, the hatred that the world has for people who do these things is something that you and I cannot endure alone. But the helper comes to strengthen and to empower the disciple to follow the commands of Christ regardless of what comes his or her way. One question before we move to a conclusion. Do you think of this as one of the roles of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is explicit about this other places in the New Testament as well, but do you think of this as one of the roles of the Holy Spirit? And brothers and sisters, let this encourage you, because again, you might be walking into a family situation over the holidays where you will be the, the, the one who feels like the odd man out. Because you have trusted Jesus and devoted your life to following him in every way, in every way that you can. You recognize that you are not alone. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help us in our witness in the most hostile of situations. You are not alone when you are reviled on the account of Christ. The Spirit of truth is with you so that you would continue bearing witness to the person of Jesus regardless of the response of worldly people. Without the Spirit, you will make compromises. You will back down. Jesus knew that. He knew that about you and me. That the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But he does not leave us alone. The spirit is the helper, strengthening you to stand firm. When you go to the word, or when you go to the word this week, consider fully that when, what you are reading and what you are applying and what you are living does not have to happen and does not, cannot happen in your own strength. It cannot happen in your own strength strength. So in the world this week, in the workplace or holiday with unbelieving family members or just Walmart, and you experience hatred and hostility on account of Christ, remember friends, you are not alone. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is with you and active. Hatred from the world and a helper for the witness. Here's a few concluding thoughts, considerations for you as we thought about this text together this morning. The first thing, touched on this a little bit, but I want you to think about this and apply it as we go from here. Jesus' words are designed to embolden us. Jesus' words are designed to embolden us. In two, two ways here, two ways that this happens. First, because Jesus knows exactly what we face when we follow him. Jesus' words are designed to embolden us because he knows exactly what we face when we follow him. He was hated before we would be. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The greater is hated, the lesser is hated. Jesus went there, we followed. If the master is hated, the whole household, including the servants, will be hated. The world has six in the chamber and is ready to shoot the messenger, and you and I are the messenger. But you can know that Jesus knows exactly what you're going to endure when you follow his commands to love one another and when you bear witness to him. This 
this text this morning is about what to expect. This text is about to, it's not, again, it's not what we should go look for. It's what we should expect. It's so that we will not be surprised when these things come towards us. What we should devote our energy and time to is what is in verses 12 through 17. Devote your time and your energy to loving one another sacrificially in a committed way and humbly. Devote your time to this and then expect what comes in these verses that we've read today. You're going to take heat if you live like Jesus commands in verses 12 through 17. You're going to take heat. But Jesus isn't at the Father's right hand. Praise God that Jesus isn't at the right hand of the Father looking down at you saying, man, so-and-so is really having a tough go down there. I didn't expect that. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, exactly what you're enduring. He knows and always has known. He's known what the true cost of following him will be for you and for all Christians. So, Jesus' words here are designed to embolden us because Jesus knows exactly what we face when we follow him. And they're designed to embolden us because it's not in our own strength that the necessary endurance comes. It's not in our own strength that the necessary endurance comes when persecution, exile, death, and whatever else in the, in, comes our way. The Holy Spirit is given to you. Jesus himself sends the Holy Spirit to bear witness and help you in your witness. Jesus is military-minded. He knows that there is strength in numbers. So he doesn't just implement the buddy system. He gives you the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, to be with you always. Jesus' words, first concluding thought. Jesus' words are designed to embolden you because Jesus knows exactly what you're enduring and also because he knows that it's, that he, uh, that it's not in your own strength that the necessary endurance comes. Second concluding thought. With the words of Jesus here in mind, we can go boldly into the world following the commands of Christ, knowing exactly what to expect. Christians should not be shocked by the response of the world. Because by representing Jesus, the sin of worldly people is exposed. When your kid spikes a fever of 103, something is being purged from the body. Something is going out. So the body is fighting something. When you back a dog into a corner, it bites. In our world, as I mentioned this from the beginning, the prevailing God of the day is self. And when we obey the commands of Christ, like the command to love one another, in the way that Jesus says in verses 12 through 17, when we love one another sacrificially and committedly, when we love one another humbly, taking ourselves out of the equation, that exposes the sin of the world. It cuts against the cultural grain that says, Self is God, obey only self. Christians living in obedience to Christ's commands tear down the idols of worldly people. Obedience to Christ comes with a heavy cost because just by existing and seeking to obey Christ and loving one another, just by doing that in the world, hatred comes. Obedience to Christ comes with a heavy cost. And so, this is a question for you. 
Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? There is a cost associated with it. This passage is an indicator that there is a heavy cost associated with it. Being hated by the world is a heavy cost. A cost that leads to persecution, exile, and even death. Did you know that was part of the package when someone first shared the gospel with you? Is that, does that, is that actually making its way into our, our evangelism? When someone shared with you something like the four spiritual laws, or someone presented the gospel with you and prayed a prayer, was the cost of following Jesus for the rest of your life considered? If it wasn't, do that now. Consider the cost of following Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 14, 27 through 28, he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Friends, this is a call to us. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. Jesus sends the helper to everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ. To everyone who's come to Christ and left their sin, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. Every man, woman, boy, and girl who is in Christ has the Spirit of Christ. So, this is how you count the cost. Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? For which of you wanting to follow Jesus does not first down and sit down and count the cost. The cost is hatred, for, or one of the costs, is hatred from the world that comes in the form of persecution, that comes in the form of exile, that comes in the form of even death. That's the cost. You've counted it. Do you have enough to, com- to complete the task? Do you have enough to endure? And the answer for every man, woman, boy, and girl who is in Christ is yes. You have enough to complete the task to live a life of following Jesus in complete endurance. Why? Because Jesus has sent you the helper, the spirit of truth. The cost can be counted, and we can come back on the other side saying, do we have enough to complete it? The answer is yes. Going after Jesus, following Jesus, means following after him in everything. The cost associated with following Jesus might be persecution, it might be exile, it might be death. And we must acknowledge those as real costs. Again, we live in relative ease in our culture. Even though the physical realities of these threats don't seem imminent, we must consider and count them. Is there too great a cost to following Jesus? For those in Christ, the answer is no. Do you have enough to complete it? The answer is yes. And Christians who genuinely count the cost of following Jesus everywhere, Jesus went, they follow him everywhere. He went, obeying him in all things, these ones will bear witness to who Jesus is. As we wrap up, I want to prompt one more bit of self-examination for us this morning. One more piece of self-examination. Because when we look at this passage, we see that there is hatred for those who love one another. Jesus tells us that there are two types of people in this passage. Those who he chose and belong to him, and those who belong to the world. There's no spectrum here. There's no middle ground. There's in Christ and there's outside of Christ. So, friends, the self-examination is this. When you see, this is the question, ask yourself this question. Be honest. When you see believers 
loving one another, what is your response? When you see believers loving one another sacrificially, committedly, and humbly, what is your response? Do you give thanks and honor and glorify God for this reality? To see men and women around you, boys and girls around you, loving one another as Christ has commanded? Or do you despise those acts? You might despise them in apathy. Or you might despise them by saying, they should love me. Who is going to sacrifice for me? Who is going to commit to me? Who is going to love me in humility, serving me? And then, when that's our mindset, what we do, rather than rejoice in the display of Christ's love, you resent the people involved. You resent those who love another person well because that love isn't coming your direction. Or you resent those who love another person well, thinking yourself cynically, that display of love is self-promoting. It's manipulative. It's coercive. It's just to get what that person wants. They wouldn't be sacrificing if they didn't think that there was something coming in return. And you resent those who are receiving the love because you think that love is rightfully yours. When you start thinking like this, when you go here in your mind, you are hating Christians and you're hating Jesus. Because, like Jesus says it would, it's exposing your own sin. Sin of pride. Sin of bitterness. Sin of cynicism. Sin of presumption. Friends, but the, the good news is if that's you if, you, if you do some genuine self-reflection and you think to yourself, yeah, when I see Christians loving one another in the way that Christ commands, I resent them. I wish that that was me. I wish someone would love me like they're loving that other person. Friends, the good news is that when you come to that realization, you can leave that sin and come to Christ. You can repent of your pride your bitterness, your cynicism, your presumption, and come to Christ and trust in Him. And He can take you out of this worldly mindset. And you can, He can give you His mind, and He will, a renewed mind. Jesus says in Philippians chapter 2, He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind, the mind of Christ, is given to all who are in Christ, who leave their sin and cling to Christ. To those who know forgiveness of sin in Christ. Christians are given the tools to fight pride and bitterness and resentment and presumption. So friends, examine yourself. When you see Christians loving one another well, how do you respond? When you see Christians loving one another, a worldly response hates the Christian and hates Christ in the way I just described. But a godly response is one that rejoices in the display of Christ's love, in the sacrifice, in the commitment, and in the humility that Christians show for other believers. We're in the Christmas season now. Consider closely that this is one of the reasons that Jesus came to the world. This, this doesn't feel like a very Christmassy sermon or a very Christmassy passage. 
The reality is that Jesus came into the world knowing full well what he was to expect. He knew full well that where he leads, those who he chose must follow. And although now that he is at the right hand of the Father, he has left us his spirit like he promised to do. Everything we need to follow him, we have. And he will, friends, come again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ and what he speaks to us here. There are so many things that we are up against in our world and face on a daily basis. God, would you cause us to be emboldened, to speak the truth of who you are to men, women, and boys and girls around us. God, when persecution comes because of our explicit gospel presentation, God, would you give us strength, even as you have given us the Holy Spirit, to help us bear witness. God, would we bear witness as we come under the, under the intense scrutiny and persecution that the world brings our way? God, would we not be surprised? God, but would we joyfully recognize that you are a God who is sovereign over all things, who is in complete control of every situation that we come in, into and out of. God, if there are those in this room who look around and see men and women, boys and girls who are loving one another well, who are showing one another the love of Christ as you commanded us to show one another, God, would you, in this time, convict us if our response is frustration, bitterness, resentment, God, and would you cause us to run to Christ and to cling to him even in these very moments. God, we thank you for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray.